Artistic Whispers Productions presents Dealing In. Welcome to Dealing In, the podcast of the works and worlds of J. Daniel Sawyer. We'll be getting to the main show in a minute, but I wanted to bring you an update on what's going on with the podcast. Crudrat Production has set the free will calendar spinning a little bit, but we'll be back next week with the next episode, and um, the week after that with the next 10,000 hours, and hopefully after that we will be able to stay on time. There may be occasional occasional interruptions between now and the end of February, but after that we should be back on track permanently because that's when Crudrat will be done. Also, quick thanks to Lucy LeBlanc, who was kind enough to help with the editing of this episode so that I wouldn't completely drop the ball on getting it out at all. And with that, I bring you to the madness that we recorded just before this most recent Christmas. Dealing in. This is the feedback show for the works and worlds of J. Daniel Sawyer, i.e. all my shit. In case the word shit didn't tip you off, this is not generally safe for people who are of a nervous or easily offended disposition or in fact have within them an ounce of humanity or moral conscience at all. (laughs) I am your host, J. Daniel Sawyer. And with him, as always, is Kitty (laughs) Nakeen. Meow! Introduce yourself. Oh, yeah, um, this is Kitty. Hi! And I am Chris Lester, the creator and head author of the Metamore City podcast, returning soon to a podcatcher near you. And my name is Danny Shade. I'm just this guy, you know. <laughs> uh, Zephod's just this guy, you know. Shady composes and performs all of the music for all of my stuff, as well as doing a whole bunch of his own stuff, too. Yeah, that's right. He is a genius... So for the last week, he has been cloistered in my guest room, composing Crudrat at gunpoint, and (laughs) the reason that I know it's been working is occasionally he'll play something on the speakers, which sounds amazing, and then even more frequently, smoke will billow out from under the door. (laughs) And you know, with creative people, if there's a drug that is being smoked, there's work being done. (laughs) So it's great. Like a goddamn chimney. That's right. The Crudrat soundtrack is sounding fucking amazing. I'm starting to get jealous of it for free will, which is, as you've been hearing, also fucking amazing. See, I thought the smoke was just him overclocking his brain. I I think the smoke is the means by which he overclocks his brain. Ah, got it. (laughs) Rather than the result of so doing. Yeah, I don't think brain smoke smells quite like that. It smells a little more like bacon smoke. Mm. Bacon. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Well... I have been having a lot of fun. Free Will music's been... There's been a lot of new stuff lately, and then the Crudrat stuff is even better, I'd say, but it's making me excited about the next Free Will music and even the music on the next Antithesis books because uh, I'm just learning how to use this computer better and make cooler music. What program do you use to put your stuff together? Logic. Just pure logic from my brain. <laughs> no, it's called Logic uh, Studio. He's out of his Vulcan mind. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty straightforward. It's the one I like to use because I've started out using GarageBand, Mm -hmm. and it's pretty easy to kind of switch from the free GarageBand one to the the pro version without really learning a lot of new stuff. Gotcha. Oh, is Logic made by the same people? Yeah, it's an it's an Apple Apple thing. Okay, cool. So we're we're going to talk about feedback. 
to yeah, eventually. Uh, I, I, I love talking about your music, man. It's oh yeah, so we're talking about music. We Crud Rat and Free Will, and then next month you'll be doing those four Gale Carragher short stories, and then after Free Will, for me, you're going to be, I think, doing the Lantham books, right? Yeah, nice. Clark Lantham so. Detective. And if you guys have not read those books yet, I think. This is just my my humble opinion. I think they're the best stuff Dan has done. They're at least for me the most enjoyable stuff that he's done. I just picked up a copy of He Ain't Heavy, which is the newest Lantham novel, and I am voraciously devouring it in every spare moment of time that I get, which is not very much because it is the end of the semester. <laughs> just wait till you get to the hot tub scene. Ooh. Ooh. Hot tub scenes in Dan's work are always fun. <laughs> it's true. Be even more fun if I ever get to film them. Hmm. Who would you cast as Clark Lantham? That's a good question. I was thinking um, Bill Burr. Who's that? I don't know Bill Burr well enough. He's the guy whose voice I imagined as I was reading. Mm, okay. Um, for the for those of you who aren't in the know, Clark Lantham is my uh, highly dysfunctional, uh, crashed and bo- burned and hard boiled ex cop private investigator who keeps finding himself in the midst of all sorts of weird cutting-edge science and technological shit in the San Francisco Bay Area. Nearly paranormal mysteries. Yes, nearly paranormal mysteries. Um, but uh, Which is so much more entertaining than actually paranormal mysteries. Right, because then there's a real puzzle to unlock instead of finally getting to the end going, oh shit, it was just a ghost. <laughs> Yeah, it was you aliens. Have to, you have to define the rules for the supernatural. Right. And there are really no rules. Well, there are no rules. Yeah, I mean, there are no rules for supernatural stuff when you do, you're you doing, like, X-Files, where it's ostensibly our world, but with crazy shit happening. Right. There are rules for the supernatural when you're in something like Metamore City, but that's because it's part of the fabric of the, the world as it's it's woven together and not, you know, this weird shit that's been tacked on right. know, and afterwards. Well, and a good story of magic is science right. in their world. right. right. Exactly. But, uh, so yeah, nearly paranormal mystery. So yeah, I've, uh, well, Lantham is physically patterned on our friend Derek. Oh, okay. Um, so I suppose an actor to play him, a young Paul Newman would have done well. Hmm. Um, a young Sam Elliott would have done even better, frankly. You need somebody, I mean, he, he's gotta be, what, in his 40s at this point, He's right? 30, and he ain't heavy, he's 37, he's about 6 foot f- 3, I think. Built like a football player. Um, he's oh, real because right. he has that he looming. looming he, he, yes. He's a recreational loomer. Yes, <laughs> and there's there's vast monologues in the books where he talks about the te- the technique and strategy of looming because it's his favorite sport, yeah. looming over people to intimidate them. Paul um, Blackthorne might almost have worked, but he's yeah. a little too old now. Yeah, sh- a younger Sean Bean could have worked. Oh yeah, if he could lose the accent. Yeah, my problem with uh, casting is everybody that I know that I can think of is is British or Australian. Well, Paul Blackthorne was British, but he did a very passable Chicago accent for the Dresden Files. Oh, he was great. He he would be a decent Lantham, actually. He could still pull off Lantham. He doesn't look that old. What about Joss Kyle? Oh, who's, boy. Who's playing Joss, Joss Kyle? Joss Kyle, that's a good question. I had... Yeah. Because it's, you know, the J- funny J- thing about Joss is yeah. that he's like... Actually, you know, Kevin Spacey would... Ooh. Yeah, Just Joss, Joss Kyle look looks like Kevin had Spacey. reconstructive surgery on his face. <laughs> well, no, it, it, at, the beginning of, uh, at the beginning of Predestination, I talk about how he looks... Um, 
haggard, kind of thin and worn. And it, it, to my mind, that the description I give him was that of like, um, Kevin Spacey from the last act of American Beauty. Yeah, I can see that. So Spacey would be, he's, again, Spacey's a little too old for it now. Yeah, Joss Kyle is an interesting character because the role that he has, you know, as this government analyst mm-hmm. spook type, kind he's a, it he's suggests... A bu- he's a bureaucrat, and before that he was a college professor. Right, so this suggests one particular personality and physical type. But then you have this man who then goes on the run and is torturing people to death, disemboweling them, and the next time we see him, he's running a casino on a space station, which all of which suggests an, a very different physical type. He's not very tall. He's about 5'8", five, 5'9". Five, I never specify exactly in the book, but in my head, you know who he's kind of like, um, height and like build-wise? would be the actor who played Rom in Deep Space Nine. Huh. Or maybe a younger Walter Koenig. Like, you know, he's really short. He is? How short is he? He's what, 5'6", isn't he? He's shorter than that. He's wow. like, I've okay, met him not in person. He's like 5'5", he's like 5'4", five, 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 maybe. Wow. You know you know who I bumped into um, at Moscone Center a few years ago? Was Casper Van Dien of Starship Troopers. Mm. I bumped into him. And I didn't notice it was him because I was, I'm not a tall man. And I was looking over his head. <laughs> I bumped into him. I said, oh, excuse me. I looked down. I caught his face. Then I caught the face of the chick next to him, which was where my eyes stayed. Cause oh my God, was she gorgeous. <laughs> and they're walking away. And then I'm like, wait a second. I know that voice. And I turn around and he was waiting for me to notice. Cause you're sitting there going, will he notice? Will he notice? Will he notice? And I went, Casper. And he's like, he clicked. He gave me a big thumbs up with the big Hollywood smile and clicked his cheek. It was it was adorable. Nice. <laughs> and I actually thought he did a good job in Starship Troopers. So I never watched it. So I good. thought he was great. Yeah. Okay, two I, out of the planet. I had heard that it it missed the point of the the book. I thought so. quite the opposite. Oh. I think Heinlein would have loved it. There's but yeah that that's the the criticism I've heard about the film has not been about the acting it's it's been about whether whether or not it tracks with the book mm-hmm. but then again that that book could fill the argument over that book could fill a few podcasts so. well i think the argument over that book has always been a surrogate for the argument over what the hell kind of politics did robert heinlein actually have <laughs> that's easy he was a socialist who got disenchanted with the ability of government to pull off socialist ends. He was also, from from birth, he was a militarist who hated war. So he believed in a egalitarian state with a strong military and a very heavy sense of community. And he was highly skeptical about the ability of anyone in the 20th century to bring that about without descending into a fascist nightmare. And hence, what he really wanted to do was run away and find a frontier somewhere. Exactly. In space! I can't actually trust you guys to pull off the world that I want, so Mm -hmm. I'm going to just leave you (laughs) yahoos here and go somewhere else. How do you think America happened? (laughs) Yes, but we've run out of new places to Only for the moment. Only for the moment, because first commercial space flights next year. Is it next year? Almost next year. Next year plus a week. 
2015, yeah. first commercial space flights, man. Chris, if you if you lived in the free will universe, where would you be on the moon, or would you go to a space station, or would you stay on Earth? Oh, I'm I'm in I'm too much in love with you know green trees and mountains and lakes and oceans. I I would have to stay here. They have a few of those things on the moon. Mm-hmm. They have green trees. Yep, and lakes and lakes. They do have the lakes. And yeah, I remember mountains. the undersea, the under the underground. Uh, um, I, I beach, like I like Luna. In fact, we've the, seen the, the, our, the, the, our our character traversing the mountains on the moon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in her spacesuit. <laughs> we haven't been really told enough about what's going on back on Earth. Yeah, um, <laughs> to know how bad it is. You know, I'd with, totally be on the moon, and I'd be one of those people who never goes back to Earth to like reacclimate their uh, the their physiology. Bones. Just, just get used. Just live the moon. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm. I'm on the moon because of that uh, underground nudist lake. Yeah, I could live there. And that which we have, and another thing which we haven't seen a lot of is the flying. That that you remember, it uh, features heavily in book one. It's not much in book two. There's a place uh, called the gallery, which is this vast shaft that goes the full height of Luna City, from the agrodome on the top all the way down to the lake. Well, that thing is like a hundred yards on the side, and people fly. You know, hang gliders attached to their arms. Cool. Through in, in there because you have one same, sixth gravity. You have one right. sixth gravity, but you have the same like air pressure mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are, and is, muscle power. Are there like thermal? Is there like hot air moving around or something for long. to keep keep? Uh, you know, I hadn't thought about whether there's thermals or not. There would have to be. Yeah. In any in any shaft like that, there would have to be huge. That's true. Actually, it would be down pressure, wouldn't it? Because you've got the dome at the top, the, the agrodome with sunlight so, and everything, and then you've got like the, the lake at the bottom, so it would be I mean, down de- pressure. Can you... Depends on what whether there's any sources of heat further down. What's the terminal hmm. velocity, then, if it's 1.6? Because if you were to fall from a really high height on the moon... Yeah, it's a good. There's point. only so fast you can. Yeah, it would be. To. It would be. It would be a lot slower than you could calculate it. You just need to know what's the air resistance of a human body, and mm. you know what's the maximum force that right. can produce. Well, see the the terminal velocity of a human on Earth is 125 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. So Which would definitely kill you. Yeah, and is this weather without coconuts? Might be down, to like, s- might yeah. be down to like 60 miles an hour. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. The, you I might be know. able to survive just by like holding your shirt out and catching air. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Flapping your wings. Mm-hmm. It's probably a lot more like in the cartoons also. Like, as soon as they realize they're falling, <laughs> that's when they start. Mm. It's just, like, so much slower. It would be so cool. It's been fascinating. Mm-hmm. I, I actually read through um, the rest of the book because I, I got my hands on a on a pirated copy <laughs> provided by an unknown source. <laughs> this shall remain nameless. We got to that point in the uh, composition process where I was like, oh, okay, you need to know how this guy's story ends so that you can figure out how to do the motif, the, the musical motif development. Mm-hmm. And so he sat down. I gave it to him, and he called me two days later, like three in the morning. Holy shit, man. I just read the book. Now, the book is 700 pages long. This yeah. is not... And, and, this is not a long. This is not a short book, and Shady's not been reading recreationally for a couple of years because he's been way busy. So he calls me at three in the morning, which is like five in the morning where he was, and says, "Oh my god, I just finished the book, you asshole!" <laughs> that sounds about right. <laughs> See the thing. It's like take a long walk on the vacuum of space. As far as, as you know, my you know where I would choose to end up. 
a big part of it is that I get seasonal affective disorder pretty bad. And so being in a place with no natural sunlight would just screw with me oh. a lot. You well, get, you find out about there's a lot of natural sunlight in Luna City. days of day, 15 yeah. days of night. And the, the daylight's piped in fiber optically. Oh, that's an interesting, city. interesting trick. Mm-hmm. So you can stare directly into the mm. sun through the fiber optics. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> One thing I've wondered about, we know that there's been nuclear war. Mm-hmm. Um, how badly did that mess up the ecology of the Earth? Not as badly as you would expect because it wasn't worldwide. So there's a, in this world, in about, in the 2020s, 2030s or so, I haven't nailed it down yet because I haven't had to, um, there was a nuclear war between, uh, they covered all of East Asia, but it was primarily between India and Pakistan, and it sort of roped China and Japan into it as the exchange escalated. And um, that caused some significant death and destruction. It's one of the reasons the center of Indian culture is on the moon and why Greg Singh's family is so very powerful because his family is an old royal family from India. Gotcha. I'm learning something new about my character. Mm-hmm. And it's why Cassie's biggest competition is um, is a Chinese triad who you find later in the book called the middle finger. <laughs> <laughs> For reasons that are explored in book three, like uh, the Middle Kingdom. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's it. Cassie's second in command, Zyler, is the right hand, and so they've called themselves the Middle Finger. Gotcha. Because they're flipping Cassie off. Nice. Anyway, I it was late when I named them, but it turned out to work. It turned out to work out. The names it, were due early, and you're just like, "Fuck it, I'll exactly. use this name." Right. I'm like the right hand. What goes with that? The Middle Finger. Yes. No one will notice that I made it up. Except I told you now, so now I'm fucked. But <laughs> ah, the um, wonder of feedback shows. So um, we can edit that out. That's true. But um, <laughs> but we won't. So that that screwed up the ecology somewhat. It screwed up the economy a lot more. Mm. And so Earth had this weird sort of juddering boom, extreme boom bust cycle through the latter half of the 21st century because on the one hand, artificial intelligence and nanobots and asteroid mining and space all came online. Huge boosts, but because the political the back the political instability and the background level of um economic innovation or uh, of economic activity wasn't there. Between about 2020 and about 2075, things were really unstable as Africa um, different nations in Africa became economic powerhouses and then be- then got taken over by the Persian Empire. And the Persian Empire is not a despotic regime, but it is a closed one. So they don't trade with the outside very much. So the Persian Empire would see someone that they wanted to trade with and they would just conquer them and keep them from trading with the West. And so... You know, the economy of the world boomed and busted as more and more of it got shut behind this, this, the wall erected by the peacock throne. Well, and then around the time of the book, what's interesting now is the power of the moon supposedly mm-hmm. to hold over the earth. Yep. And this is something I'd never considered. And you, I think you even talked about it in the beginning of predestination yeah. mm-hmm. that that's something, I guess, medieval technology on the moon could destroy the yep. earth. The that's entire earth. that's so, the the basis of what would that uh, take? Would you need like a rock the size of a truck? Um, how much damage would that well, do? Well, it would depend on how fast you launched it. You know, mm-hmm. um, you basically would need a mass driver to push things fast enough. I don't think that the the speed at which you launch it actually makes that much difference, as long as you've got 
orbital enough to achieve escape enough to get velocity. A, oh yeah, no, but I mean the more but the more energy you impart to it, the more you get on the other side, right? Well, I mean, it's just you're at the top of the gravity well, right. so you're going to accelerate so much just from that how the, far that you're falling. That the, won't matter yeah, I don't much. think it would okay. matter that much. But um, but yeah, so something something the size of a truck, or the, I should say, the mass of a truck, at least the mass of a truck once it hits ground, mm-hmm. would be enough to wipe a city out. A city so out. That's why yeah. they're trying to control like any Earth-facing. Yeah, uh, colonies have all these certain right. restrictions, and they're like, which, which mm-hmm. is of course a completely political move mm-hmm. because it doesn't matter where on the moon you launch from, as long as you get the angle right, you could go out, yeah, you know, out in orbit, and that's something that Earth. So politicians in the U.S. are making hay about Earth-facing works, mm-hmm. but. Everyone knows it's not going to do any good, and they can't shut the mass drivers down because they need them for trade. Mm-hmm. And the, Earth, the, the U.S. is depending on certain mineral commodities from the moon to get blasted mm-hmm. down. This is all stuff that Heinlein mm-hmm. dealt with in uh, moon The Moon is a, is a Harsh, harsh Mistress. mistress. Yep. The, the lunar colonies won their independence through orbitally bombarding all of the people who were trying to, to conquer them and subdue yep. them. And basically, they... they they pounded Cheyenne Mountain for three days until there was nothing left but a smoking crater. Yep. So well, you so can't. So you can't write a, a story about war between the Moon and the Earth without dealing with that now, because Heinlein explored it so well. Yeah. That if you don't mention it, then you've Ooh. obviously not done your homework, and you're not worth so reading. You gotta hope that mm-hmm. you have not some <clears throat> two like bloodthirsty people in charge of. Oh yeah, it's yeah, gonna the moon. The, it's gonna be the biggest national security issue of the 21st century is who lives mm-hmm. on the moon. This yeah. is the reason why there was such a big rush to get to the moon in the first place. You know, it was everybody wanted to know who was going to militarize it, and then we sort yeah. of surprised ourselves by not doing so. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be interesting, but yeah, it's one of the reasons why it's um, legally speaking at the moment the moon is like Antarctica. You no no country can lay claim to it, and no country can, or in any country setting up um, military operations on it, will be deemed it'll be deemed an act of war against everybody on the planet. So, like, if the U.S. set up a missile base on the moon, everyone else is legally allowed to nuke us. Mm -hmm. It's that kind of a big deal in international law, and it's a good thing. (laughs) Yeah, kind of is. Well, should we get to some feedback? Yeah, sure. Yeah. I wanted to call attention to my one of my favorite parts about the Antithesis series, which is the chapter titles. Oh, nice. Oh, go for it. Um, oh, no. He's going to do this. Predation thing. and other acts of mercy. Loyalty and other deadly treacheries. Independence and other forms of bondage. You see what, what's, what the game is there, Chris? Yes, it's called an Antithesis. Right. And that what's the name of the series? It's antithesis. Yeah, right there. Dan's a smart guy. <laughs> He's a very smart guy. So I have... Um, my favorites, uh, agnosticism and other faiths of certainty was was a great one. <laughs> Forgiveness and other acts of vengeance. <laughs> these are some teasers because these are future chapters. That, right. And, uh, um, nostalgia and other false prophecies. So I have some suggestion ones for the next books. Um, uh-huh. These are my own chapter titles. A spoonful of sugar and other salty snacks. Oh. Icebergs and other foot warmers. Fireworks and other children's toys. <laughs> Fireworks are good children's toys. What are you talking yeah, about? That's true. Yeah, no. 
spankings and other cuddles. <laughs> <laughs> that also is not an antithesis. I've lived with you for too long to know better. Oral surgery and other fun times. <laughs> Getting a new driver's license and other painless procedures. <laughs> Zing zap zoo. That's it. <laughs> oh boy. You're a sick man, Shady. Send your favorite antithesis chapter titles to Dan at jdsawyer.net. My worker is dying. You asshole. Um, send death threats to Chris Lester. <laughs> at wherever.com. <laughs> yes, because right, Dan can never gives? actually remember my address. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what gives? What do you have against omelets? Wait, wait, you got, oh, yeah, who, yeah. who is this? Who's you reading, reading this? this? Can you Shady guess? is reading free feedback from? <clears throat> he knows who he is. Rick Costello. Oh, Rick Costello. Yes. All right, what gives? What do you have against omelets? <laughs> I don't know what this is referring to. I, I said something about eggs. Yeah, Dan uh, has a deep and abiding hatred of eggs. It's the only area in which I really have a strong opinion on abortion, is where chickens are concerned. <laughs> <laughs> I think chickens should be allowed to be born and enjoy life right up until they get their heads cut That's off. That's potential and become fried dinner. chicken you're eating there. Exactly. It's underdone fried chicken. <laughs> it's an underdone rotisserie dinner. And I don't understand why anyone would do that terrible thing to this poor, innocent, ungestated chicken. Every time I see a breakfast burrito with eggs on it, I think, man, that could have been chicken stock and some great soup. <laughs> well, keep in mind that most chicken eggs that are sold are actually unfertilized. So they're not chicken abortions. They're chicken placentas. On the other hand, they still smell like shit and taste like sponge rubber sulfur. So <laughs> Only I when had... you're doing it wrong. One one of my parents was into fad diets when I was a child, and I was I was bombed by eggs for six months in a row. Eggs, two meals a day, and I went from oh. loving them to hating them. At the age of four, so I have to admit that would do just, it to anybody. And every once in a while, I'll try like just in case, and That's even cooking. And, and the the hell of it is, I actually am told I make brilliant omelets, but I have to do it with nose plugs because the smell will wow. turn my stomach. Now I can bake, you know. It's, it's the cooking of the egg that bothers that that, that that bothers my palate and my nose. Huh. So I I bake with eggs all the time. I got no problem with that. I use right, egg that's washes mixed in for, with the flour and stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. I use egg washes when I make fried meats and that sort of mm-hmm. thing. No, no problem at all. Creaming sugar and mm-hmm. butter together with eggs. Yes. Make delicious cookies. Here, I don't get this about do they say that eggs get fertilized, but. They gotta be in the chicken while they're getting yeah. fertilized, right? Because yeah. it comes from fucking. For some reason, I always had the image of them laying the egg and then the rooster walking up to the egg afterwards and fertilizing, like pumping well, the egg. That's, that's how fish do it. Fish yes. do it. With, like with, 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 with chickens, they don't put the shell on until right before it's laid. So, right. the, if you ever have like peeled an egg and there's that little membrane inside, yeah. that's what they're encased in. That, they stick their prick in that. Right. They don't have. No, no, pricks. they don't. The, the they, no, they don't the, have the pe- rooster. No, the rooster roosters don't have, have pricks either. No. They have they have yes. cloaca. mind here, Chris. It's okay. true. A cock has no cock. <laughs> yes. They have cloaca, like um, like reptiles do, just like vents that open up, uh-huh. and they um, press. Just... They do what's called a cloacal kiss. So they press vent to vent, and oh, he squirts. The the, the cock will squirt semen into the hen, and then the semen will swim up the reproductive tract. And um, infiltrate the egg before it's got the hard shell. To be clear, the cock will put semen in there, not the cock, 
But, but the, the what's that called again? The, the, the Omni hole. Yeah. yeah. The cloaca. Now, now, now. Okay. That's a dirty ducks hole. Do have penises? That's ducks true. Have ducks, corkscrew penises. Yeah, nasty, ducks have corkscrew nasty, penises. Nasty, nasty penises. Yes, and and they're fully articulated too. Which right. Is, the females like have developed have developed branching vagina vaginal canals mm-hmm. that. Um, have blind turns in order that to they prov- can control. If, right, if they can't resist the sex, but they don't want to have that particular mallard's yeah. children, mm-hmm. they can like. So that weird senator was off by one species. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Saw, some animals do have biological saw, defenses against rape, but not primates. Not humans. Right. Yes. I saw a gif, a, a gif of a duck dick, mm-hmm. and it looked like it reminded me of those cans of. Spring snakes that you pull out of the can. <laughs> like it really, they had to show it in slow motion to see the full action of it. Because it, it protrudes and like, yeah. It's called eversion. E- what is eversion? It, when, when, uh, um, because I'm developing an aversion to duck dick here. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure when it's a, a delicacy duck, somewhere. When, when a duck or a snake or any other, um, any other species that carries its penis internally. Pushes it out. Mm-hmm. It's called eversion, and they call it a boner to mm-hmm. them to each other. Well, in their the, language, the, most Translate. of them actually have bones in their penises. We're yeah. one of the few species that doesn't That's have bones. True. The baculum, penises. which has led me to the the mental image of Count Baculum. It also or Scott Baculum. I was going to say it also <laughs> it also gives Quantum Leap a whole new a whole new angle I'd never considered before. Yes. He comes back as a duck. I'm now terrified. Not to mention Star Trek Enterprise. I mean, he is the precursor to Captain Kirk and, and Commander Riker, and now we know why. Captain yep. Quack. <laughs> Captain Quack. Chris, read one. All right. This one comes from Scott John Harrison. I am up to date now, and I can see the out-of-band data transfer, ubiquitous encryption, data obfuscation, cell networking, and more are being used in the espionage of Doug and Cassie. These are all most mostly things I didn't know about when I first listened to Antithesis in 2008-9. What would be interesting to speculate is how the underlying technology that isn't extra precautions is in place. I have been following podcast security now, and they are talking about the improvements to security that are coming because of the leaks. I could see very much some sort of secure SMTP with forwards secretly actually in wide use in a society this advanced. Doug's network really seems to have a nice hierarchy of trust, whereas password doesn't even have the problem of being something he knows, since it is only muscle memory. Listening to the Alex slash Allie scene in the recent episode has been really interesting to me as well. I had an idea of writing a functionally bi-gender character since around 2006, which came to me when I was deep in the closet. I will attempt to write a less rambling email for the upcoming Dealing In episode. Too, Too late. late. It will be fun to listen to Chris joining you to discuss things. Oh, thank you. So, in order... Advances in security. security. Oh boy, I can't tell you how much fun it's been watching the Snowden stuff spiel out after having written the Omnivore a year and a half earlier. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) Among other stuff. Yeah, no, I've been involved in computer security to one degree or another since about 1993. And so most of the stuff that's been coming out in the media is stuff that a lot of us who follow the who follow security have been like, yeah, we were wondering when someone would leak that. 
Yeah, I figured mm. they'd be doing that too. Oh, those sneaky bastards. I didn't think about that one. It's been like playing constitutional rights violation bingo. <laughs> <laughs> it's been highly entertaining. But there's an upside to it, I guess, huh? <laughs> I'm my bingo cards getting nicely full. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious about whether um quantum computing works in this universe and to the extent to which it might alter the uh ability to Breakthrough security. For a while, I thought that quantum computing would be the end of of crackable cryptography. That's what I thought. But the latest experimental data that I read, now granted this was like last January, was the last time I read a paper on it, but it seems that um, it's actually crackable hmm. as well, um, at least in theory. The unpredictability of the quantum state is not enough to make it uncrackable. Now that that could change. My assumption of how things are working in this world is that everything on the net is encrypted. The net is truly decentralized rather than running through a singular backbone. That's why the omnivore actually does have to have nodes everywhere. The internet has evolved into something working very much like Bitcoin works in terms of the, uh, the multiple autonomous small networks that are self-sufficient and self-identifiable. And that it's gotten this way just as an evolutionary pathway away from where it is now. What's happened is that since the early stages of the Internet, it's always been a hierarchical network structure. And it's spawned multiple smaller peer-to-peer networks like Napster and BitTorrent and now Bitcoin and other stuff like that. But the physical architecture of the network has always limited the amount of diffusion that can happen. But as we work toward the Internet of Things which is a byproduct of having everything you own, including your coffee pot, connected to the Internet. <laughs> the um, way that bandwidth is allocated is going to become more and more mesh network style and less and less um, hierarchical. So regardless of how, um, of how governments try to put a cap on it, the basic economic forces that they depend on to maintain their power are eroding their power to control the net from underneath. Moises Naim's book, The End of Power, is essential reading on how this effect is is happening throughout all of society and is probably irreversible. We can hope. And um, well, it, it has its own downsides too. And I, right. you know, as someone who's not in favor of centralized authority very much, because I'm kind of a narcissistic asshole, uh, <laughs> there's there's many of these things. I'm like, oh yes, finally, oppressive regimes gone. But th- there's there's some unintentionally good side effects that do come as a byproduct of highly centralized authority that we're going to have to learn to do without or have to learn to do other ways. And he has a wonderful and interesting analysis of those things as well. It is on my Audible library. I just haven't listened to it yet. Yeah, totally worth reading. And he's got two follow-ups about the pirate economy, or one precursor about the current underground economy of the world, and then a follow-up that I think is out or isn't quite out yet that I heard a lecture on that sounds really fascinating. This leads me to a related question, which Mm. is, so we know that the omnivore has this sort of lizard level of sentience or sapience. What about ship computers like um, Fugitive or, Mm -hmm. or Curie? Are they actually... Do they have lizard intellect, or do you need something the size of Omnivore to have any level of AI, true AI at all? Um, Omnivore is to AI what we are to protoplasm. Mm. Omnivore's intelligence was not superintended. It just happened 
as a byproduct of being that big of, and that complicated of not just being that big and that complicated, but being that big and that complicated and that relational because mm. everything in omnivore is about the relationships between different data points in the world. And it's the relational and the uh, volitional ability of its logic interacting with each other that gave rise to its self-consciousness. There are other AIs in this world. Mondu's big job in, um, in the city in Africa that he ran away from when the Persians came in was programming AI. Basically, he was a parent to artificial intelligence. He would start from um, wetware gel cubes and begin with designing the neural substrates and then create a parenting environment for it to bootstrap itself up. But by the time he left, the uh, uh, Calabar was his city. Um, which is a real city, by the way, and oh my god, have they been... The, the story of Calabar in the last 15 years, in terms of a city that is bootstrapping itself to amazingness, is utterly incredible. You should totally look it up. What city, or what nation is it in? You know, I can't remember, and I feel like a complete putz. <laughs> it's on the Horn of Africa, okay. but I can't remember the exact country, because it's been a few years since I wrote it. But uh, Calabar, great, great city. Really amazing stuff. So when he left Calabar, it was getting to the point where other AIs were designing the new AIs because mm. things were getting too complicated for humans. <clears throat> so like Curie's ship uh, Val, which is an acronym I invented so that it would be like Valkyrie, but uh, oh, nice. actually has an acronym and I can't remember it right now, but Val is a deliberately limited sentence. Cassie keeps her on a short leash because Cassie doesn't trust what can happen with unfettered AIs when they malfunction. Cassie doesn't trust much of anyone. That's yeah, true. I, their voice recognition technology is really good. Oh, yeah. Um, that's the one thing I've noticed. Like, everything claims to have voice recognition. It's been there for long, but it's always the worst. It's just, it's so unreliable. And it always, I'm always cringing a little bit when they talk to a computer thinking it's going to come back with, like, a, didn't quite get that. They well, never do. I, I fi well, yeah, I figure um, the difference between the first edition of Dragon Naturally Speaking and the current edition of Siri mm -hmm. over the last 10 years, the progress is such that in another 20 years, we will have natural language computers yeah. that can understand accents and that sort of thing. That's just, that's one of my bedrock assumptions. What's next after that is like having them get sarcasm. And mm. <laughs> they're like, yeah, I totally want you to shut down. Yeah. It's like, okay, I get it. <laughs> yeah, I'll that, stay on. <laughs> that's one of the that's one of the reasons that Val's on a leash. Um, Fugitive's AI is on a somewhat looser leash. Joss is not a great pilot, so the AI does most of the piloting for him. But it doesn't have much of a personality. Where Val has more of a personality. So there's all sorts of different ways that AIs work in this. Just like there's all sorts of different ways that computer chips work in our world. Right. Sort of assuming just, an analogous. Is the omnivore. Yeah. The internet, or is he just one internet? Like, is there a lot of omnivores out there? The omnivore is a protocol. Okay, so back in the late, early 1990s, I guess it was late 1990s, about 95, the FBI developed a secret snooping node that they were forcing internet service providers to install called Carnivore, which siphoned up all the email and chewed through it for particular things. It was drug war at the time. And um, it was hugely illegal. It had made the you know, same kind of shit they're doing now, you know, <laughs> the NSA is doing now. It was hugely illegal. There's lots of court cases about it and whatnot. 
And so the FBI then developed, and I may be getting the two generations wrong, but the FBI then developed Omnivore, which was supposed to be more discriminating, but went across all protocols. I could be getting them backwards. It could be Carnivore was second and Omnivore was first, but either way. So Omnivore is real, and it's still on the net right now. Okay. It was never taken down. So it's <clears throat> it's a network node, right. and I don't exactly know what that means. Maybe your listeners do. a little... A program that's just running in the cloud. Yeah, it doesn't exist anywhere in particular. So the idea is that eventually Omnivore gets forgotten about as um, later surveillance tech gets built on top of it and as later internet innovations make it less useful. No one ever decommissions it. They just forget it's there. Like, you know, like missile bases that are left over from World War II that still have one guy, you know, that kind of thing. And in its neglect, the Omnivore has grown with the internet as the internet has become more of a neural network. So the omnivore is basically, the internet has become its brain. Yeah. The omnivore is the mind and the internet is its brain kind of yeah. thing. Okay. This kind of reminds me of Jane from the uh, the Ender books. Hmm, which I haven't read. Yeah, in the, the Ender Shadow series, which takes place in the years immediately after Ender's game, they take the adaptive AI program that was used to psychologically analyze the um, the cadets, mm-hmm. and they, you know, because it's it's a program that's able to take in and analyze lots of different data and find unexpected relationships, they repurpose it as a investment program for the pensions of mm-hmm. the battle school grads who are going off into deep space and are thus going to be out of touch with their money for hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. And basically they... It's a high-frequency trading program. Right, well, yeah, and they, they give it access to the ability to understand enough to make intelligent investing decisions. Mm-hmm. You, and, you, I bet you didn't know this, but about 80-90% of money that moves on the planet now is moved by programs like that. That, that doesn't Completely surprise without, me. without human input at all. That's why the flash crash happened. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so this, this thing, you know, it kind of gets left alone for a thousand years as the colonization Mm -hmm. program is expanding. And then one day it, it, uh, makes contact with, with Ender when he reaches a subjective age of like 21 or something, which he's been doing so much planet hopping that that's, you know, hundreds of years in the future. And, and Jane has gotten very big and very smart in the time being. (laughs) Nice. But yeah, so that's that, that's that's what kind of the AI situation is. Cool. Um, um, other points yeah. in there that they talked about Doug's network having a hierarchy of trust. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure whether he means the the computer network or the network of people. I think, I think he means the network of people. Yeah, and I I had a lot of fun researching how you organize revolutionary cell networks and coming up with my own kind of hybrid version that solves a lot of the security problems inherent in other versions. Trixie. Um, similar to like a, you know, you just don't know the guy who knows the guy. Right. You well, just know the guy. So like a traditional cell structure is like, you'll have a cell of three to five people that, and they'll either know each other or know how to contact each other. And then each one of them will have a connection to another cell. Maybe two connections if, and, and they may be like cross redundant yeah. in case one person dies. Yeah. You have the people you recruit. Right. And then you have, uh, usually a dead drop from the person right. above you. 
And the problem with this is that it's um, it's vulnerable to rubber hose cryptography. What's that mean? That means you tie someone to a chair and you beat them with a rubber hose till they give you their password. <laughs> it's an actual term in computer security. I basically wanted a cell structure that was that was immune to rubber hose cryptography. What I did is I had everything done through dead drops and the the lower layers isolated from the upper layers bidirectionally rather than unidirectionally because usually the people at the top know how to get down a couple layers and you could follow a breadcrumb trail all the way down. What I wanted was so that the people at the top couldn't get more than two layers deep if they wanted to and that there would be hard breaks in the structure. So I did that with a combination of email dead drops using passwords rather than biometrics and passwords that were keyed to obscure literature that was coded in such a way that even a um, cipher king who had, they were coded uh, symbolically rather than directly because you can break any cipher if you got enough computers and enough smart people, but you can't necessarily break a code. Right. And the difference between a cipher and a code is a cipher is a is a mathematical scrambling, where a code is could be a random substitution. Yeah, it could be anything. I mean, right. like the genetic code. There's no reason for the you know any particular set of bases to correspond well, to a, that we know an of amino yet. acid that we know of yet. We may yet discover one. But if I were to say ten four to you, that wouldn't mean a thing to you unless you've been on on a radio at some point, on a mm-hmm. CB or a shortwave radio. Mm-hmm. Or you've done research into 10 right. codes. Yeah, and 10-4 means I understand you loud and clear. Um, so a code is like a different language, mm-hmm. an alternate language that substitutes, but it doesn't substitute directly. Which is why the Navajo code talkers were so effective. Exactly. So when Cassie has this uh, bit of info she needs to send to Doug, she's sending it through a dead drop from Little John to Robin Hood. And then, or she may have been Friar Tuck, I can't remember. But that note had references that were alphanumeric, that were code for a certain page number in a certain book, then a certain line of a certain poem on that page. And that line of that poem was the code. So it says, the one that actually shows up in Predestination, I think, says something. It's a, it's an Omar, it's a Persian poet, and so that tells Doug what domain things are in, and then the line has something to do with, uh, dragons or something that tells him something about the plot. I haven't read it in a few years, so. But, um, no one even getting that line would be able to know what that meant. Yeah, they'd have to steal a code book. Right. But there is no code book. The code books are all committed to memory and burned and you know, that kind of thing. The thing that I wonder about with a double-blind cell network, how do you know that the people two to three jumps beneath you in the network are actually working for your intended purposes? You don't. You don't, but here's the trick. In a regular network, in a regular spy network, you don't know anyway. You can double agents, triple agents, all that sort of thing. You Disinformation is a risk in any intelligence operation. So the only way you can balance against that is to have multiple information sources. Um, and if something's coming through one source and one source only, you have to be suspicious of it. But you can't discount it because it could be a unique and important piece of information, as in fact the knowledge that Joss Kyle was bringing to the table was. So the answer is there's no good way to know, but 
really, there's no good way to know anyway. So it's a, it, it just makes apparent a vulnerability that every system already has. Gotcha. Ooh. Is there anything more in that? Today? Yes, uh, bi-gender characters. What was the inspiration for uh, Alex, Alyssa? What was the inspiration? That's what I want to know. Uh, it's less about the gender and more about the personalities. She doesn't, it's, she doesn't really talk too much about like, oh, now I'm Alex Hart and I got a dick. It's like, no, I'm Alex is asexual. Yeah, yeah, Alex is. Yeah, I guess that's the the. How, what did they say? Bi gender. Yeah, it wouldn't be really bi gender. Then it'd be non gender. Yeah, well, a, yeah, Alex is a character that Allie plays, and because of her personal acculturation and the things she associates with femininity and masculinity, Alex is a very asexual and um serene character where she herself is both highly sexual and very volatile which she normally considers to be strengths but in a stakeout situation or in a poker playing situation those are both definite weaknesses and so she's constructed alex almost as sort of her ideal man not not like the man that she'd want but the man that she thinks is sort of the platonic ideal that's very interesting for a Catholic. I thought so. But the Catholics do have a uh, character sitting at the top that is supposed to be masculine, serene, and sexless. They've got a whole collection of them. They've got priests, they've got the Pope, they've got Jesus. All of whom are that sort of, that sort of platonic ideal of masculinity. Mm-hmm. So that's where I drew that from. Alex, though, is specifically mentioned to be ruthless, which is something that you don't typically associate with the uh, the the um, Christ-like archetype. Have you read the Book of Revelation or much medieval history? <laughs> Ruthlessness is a Catholic virtue. <laughs> Always has been. Always has been. But what, what sense is Alex Hart ruthless? That, that's Well, it's one of the things Allie thinks about him all the time, but... When someone sits down across the table from Alex Hart to play cards with him, he cares about the cards and the game. He does not care about the person on the other side of the table. Doesn't care about anything else. He will do whatever he has to do to win that game. Yeah. Doesn't have Short a conscience. Of cheating, presumably. Short of cheating. Doesn't have a conscience about it. And as, as a, as a, as a trapdoor spire lying in wait for someone who, as far as they know, will probably be killed as soon as they hand them over. He's got Allie's killer instinct, but he's not invested in it like she is. Like, she's never killed anyone, but she's kind of okay with doing it. She very much identifies as a predator type. Yeah. Although she does say, I've never killed anyone is in her defense when she's playing that game with uh-huh. Joss. In- interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Which leads me to wonder how comfortable she really is with the knock-on effects of her work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's something that gets explored more later in the book and then very much in books three and four. Mm-hmm. Allie has always struck me as being a character who is um, riddled with um, issues. <laughs> Do I write any characters that are not riddled with issues? I'll have to think about that. Is there anything more in that, uh, in that particular email? Nope, that's it. That's it for that one. Okay, Kitty, it's your turn. Hey, an email from uh, Heiko Schaefer. Had fun with the Daredevil short. Uh, oh, Suave Rob's Double X Daring Do! I love that one! Almost makes me want to go out and do something adrenaline-related. Which is not really my cup of tea. 
Did you see that uh, XKCD made a, a reference recently to surfing a supernova? No. Ah, did, did, I wonder if he read my book. I don't know. If he didn't, we have to send him a copy. I have to uh, pull up the relevant quote. Go ahead and continue. I'm I'm really glad you liked it, Heiko. Thank you. I had so much fun writing that book. And it's one of those that polarizes. Some people love it, and some people really, really hate it because Rob is an asshole. In my <laughs> defense... such an adorable yeah, asshole. Yeah, he's an adorable asshole. And it was an exorcism for me because I actually spent a whole day on the waves with that guy at one point. <laughs> Someone who talked like that. And I've had that voice rattling around my subconscious for 20 years. <laughs> so it was so nice to give Rob his own book. So I found the quote on uh, whatif.xkcd.com, issue 73. Someone had asked him the question, how close would you have to be to a supernova to get a lethal dose of neutrino radiation? And he points out that this is a very bizarre concept to have a lethal dose of neutrino radiation because it's like he he likens he likens it to the idiom knock me over with a feather or the phrase football stadium filled to the brim with ants it's not that taken literally it doesn't make sense but it's hard to imagine a situation where it would apply it's true and uh so he's he's going on to explain the physics behind yeah to talk about just how powerful supernovas are and he says that in order to get a lethal dose of of uh, radiate of neutrino radiation specifically from a supernova, you would have to be about two point three astronomical units from the center, which is a little more than the distance between the sun and Mars. And he says core collapse supernovae happen to giant stars. So if you observed a supernova from that distance, you'd probably be inside the outer layers of the star that created it. And then he's got this little cartoon that shows core. U, supergiant star, core collapse, and then the um, neutrinos, and then this little voice bubble off the edge of the map going, Wee! <laughs> and uh, then there's the caption for that cartoon says, GRB... Gamma ray burst. <clears throat> right. GRB zero, uh, 080319B was the most violent ever observed, especially for the people who were floating right next to it with surfboards. <laughs> Oh, I've got to send him a copy of Suave Rob. <laughs> so for those of you who don't know, Suave Rob's Double X Daring Do is the tale of a far future transsexual evil Knievel who decides that the ultimate adrenaline rush would be to surf a supernova. And so with the help of his stunt partner and their mentor, they go and do just that. Whoa. It is completely nuts. Gonzo silliness. It's, it was so much fun to write that one. Rob is one of the funniest characters he's ever written. It was hilarious. And your fun fact for about supernovas for the day. Which of the following would be brighter in terms of the amount of energy delivered to your retina? A supernova seen from as far away as the sun is from the Earth, or the detonation of a hydrogen bomb pressed against your eyeball? Which would be brighter? Which would be brighter? Uh, the supernova. By nine orders of yeah, magnitude. <laughs> yeah, supernova would be so bright at that distance that with your back turned and your eyes duct taped shut, you could still see it. Yeah, <laughs> briefly. Yeah. <laughs> right before it burns through your brain. The physicist who mentioned the problem of neutrino 
radiation to me, told me that his rule of thumb for estimating supernova-related numbers, however big you think supernovae are, they're bigger than that. <laughs> Good. Suave Rob. Great story. I don't know. Have you read Suave Rob yet? I have not read Suave Rob oh, yet. You'll dig it. Particularly <laughs> since you dug Ideas Incorporated, you'll definitely dig Suave Rob. <laughs> Ideas Incorporated was a weird trip, man. <laughs> Thank you. I, I, I can only assume that the experience of reading it was similar to the experience of being on hallucinogenic drugs. I think Ideas Incorporated would have been a weird road trip to be on. I've been on some road trips like that. <laughs> With things get weird out Nazi in the wilderness. Nazi hillbilly werewolves. Well, more angry dwarves. <laughs> hey, don't talk about me like that. <laughs> she is very short. It's true. And very cranky. Well, we got a letter from Larry Graves. Is there any way that I could buy the audiobook slash podcast for free will? Waiting for the weekly episode is a killer. I usually have a good amount of patience, but your story and production is so good that I'm pinging off the walls waiting for the next fix. I fear you're making the episode still, and I will probably have to buy the Kindle version to get my instant gratification, but it won't be the same as the nuanced audio experience. I know. <laughs> Anyways, I wish you lots of success and hope you consider releasing the ha- uh, the, the audiobook podcast uh, on audible.com or your website. Now, when I, I got that copy of Free Will and I was reading it on my computer and frequently through reading this, I was like, I have to go to the bathroom. Man, I wish I had this on audio. <laughs> and, and I realized, like, that's exactly what I ought to be working on right now. Yeah, no, it, the audiobook is not done yet, but when it is, it will be available for sale and it will be done significantly earlier than the podcast will finish. The podcast, to give you an idea, Predestination was 27 episodes. The book, the text of the story is about 119, 118,000 words. Free Will, the text of Free Will is 250,000 words. It's more Damn. than twice as long. And you're getting it every other week. I know it's a little bit more than that right now because I'm in the middle of Crud Rat, but we'll be back to every other week pretty soon. That means that it's going to last at least 16 months. The podcast is. Now, the Free Will full audiobook we've got up on the calendar for release in April, um, at which point we'll be doing the paperback as well. And so far, it looks like we're on track to make that. Worst case scenario, get pushed back to May. But uh, Free Will, all formats should be available around tax day, so it will at least uh, give you some vicarious revenge against the government when you have to fork over all your money. Yeah. <laughs> And it's going to be good. Free Will is absolutely wonderful. If you like Predestination, you're just going to be so happy with uh, it. I can't tell you how good it is to have the composer on board with the story like that. Because it it means the the music is even better than it would otherwise be, and it would otherwise be fucking fantastic. Well, you know, I'm just doing my best. Incidentally, this sort of feedback is the reason why i am working to record the entirety of things unseen before i put (laughs) the episodes out because i don't want i I want people to be able to go and buy the audiobook i'm going to new media expo in january and i wish i was joining you i was invited but can't make it i have cred rat to do yes there is a there's going to be a panel there by a person from audible to talk about getting stuff onto acx and so i'm looking forward to going to that workshop and getting some questions answered 
think so you're just going to have to wait, people. But <laughs> luckily, you will be able to buy it straight yeah. ahead. Because to wait another 16 months... <laughs> I didn't, uh, I mean, not another 16 months, but 16 months total. So total, like another, yeah. Another 14. But oh. yeah, right now you, if you're impatient for the story, you can buy it in ebook formats, all the ebook formats. It's everywhere. But if you want the print or the audiobook, you're going to have to wait till April. And go yeah. buy He Ain't Heavy while you're at it. Well, I'm yeah, excited the, for the, them. The, all five Lantham books even. I'm excited for when, when you can't really, I just, there's all these spoilers <coughs> I want to talk about. That's the problem. <laughs> and like, we're on, Chapter five, or episode chap- five, so episode five, right, right, almost at the end of part one, but not quite. Right, yeah. So it's like, oh man, you guys don't even know. <laughs> yeah, like we can't talk about the giant, the bleep, uh, bleep, bleep, bleep. The, the, the giant dog eating dragon. <laughs> A lot of dragons. It was weird that you decided to suddenly bring wizards. And... <laughs> uh... I was reading the Chinese uh, ripoff version of, of Free Will. <laughs> it's called. Free Will and Other Games of Chance by J. Daniel Sawyer, and then it's just all dragons and fairies. Nice. The, have you seen those? Like, it's a huge thing in Japan or mm-hmm. in China too. Yeah, well, or like they do, they do it with uh, mock, what they're called mockbusters here. They, yeah, the blockbuster film for War of the Worlds is coming out soon, so someone will make an, an off-brand War of the Worlds. Package right. Really yeah. Right. But there's no there's no respect for any like uh, creative content. Like right, laws. the copyright doesn't work the same there. So they'll just put the verbatim title of the of a book of a Harry Potter book, say, mm-hmm. and then plagiarize an entirely different book, say The Hobbit, mm-hmm. and just put them together and like wow. so. Wow, nice. this yeah, makes. I've seen some copies of this stuff. It's really really entertaining. Well, maybe this explains that cover I've been puzzling about for years, which is that the have you seen this the ebook cover for The Wizard of Oz that has the space jet fighters. <laughs> <laughs> Really? No, yes. I've seen that. It's like it's 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 the it's the Wizard of Oz ostensibly, but it's this this the cover art that they got. It looks like one of the Orson Scott Card novels with you know wow. these space fighters riding over this alien world, and it's like, huh? Yeah, that's that's always what I think of when I think of Is the Wizard like of Oz. Is it just a generic logo for a publishing company, and they use that for all their wow, books? Wow, that's no, amazing. it was it was specifically chosen for this this particular <laughs> ebook. Wow. Yeah, you read the next one, Kitty. Okay, so this one is from Bettina. She's friends with a friend who introduced her to your podcasts. I just wanted to let she's you... she's a friend of Michael Lamangelo. Yeah. Uh-huh. I just wanted to let you know how much I enjoyed the Antithesis series. I had Audible for a while, but the books were so expensive. Your narration and actors were far superior to the audiobooks I listened to on Audible. I'm listening to book two now. Thank you for making this available to the public. Excuse me while I go and preen in front of a mirror. (laughs) Uh, I'm so glad. Uh, I try very hard to, to make the productions rock because... Nothing sucks worse than a mediocre audiobook. I'm glad to have you on board, and while you're waiting, feel free to listen to Down From Ten, which is also free. I would actually say that there's something worse than having a mediocre narrator for the audiobook, and that's having a poorly edited audiobook. Oh yeah, we're all you get half the breaths. <laughs> half or all or the time. you get repeated phrases. Oh or you get like dropped words or the narrator mispronouncing words. I don't put up with that. If I hear or there's there's one thing I am in most respects I'm a big fan of 
the Orson Scott card um, shadow books. But probably ought not go out calling out specific other artists on the show. <laughs> I'm not going to call out the artist. I'm going to call out the production company that made Shadow of the Hegemon. <laughs> because I listened to this this book when it first came out in audiobook and I will Bleak say that, that this out. is this is not the company that he is currently with anymore and mm-hmm. I know why. <laughs> um, what did they just get to what they did, man? Well, in the first edition they pronounced it Hegemon throughout the book, which was annoying, it's but It's a correct variant. Okay. So that makes what they did in the most recent version even more inexplicable. Sometime between when I first listened to this audiobook 10 years ago and now, somebody went back in and pasted in the word hegemon into Wait, the middle of the narration in every place where it was used. And of course, used. the EQ is different. The EQ and, is different. Oh. The sound quality is completely different. They, they were, oh. and so you get oh, these. I would fucking shoot somebody. Yes, it is horrible. And that's why I'm calling it out because it is ridiculous that a professional product is being sold with this kind of slapdash patch job if you are an audiobook producer and want to know how not to do shit like that might i recommend my book making tracks <laughs> which tells you how to produce audiobooks properly mm-hmm. and at the very least if not they were gonna, shilling or anything if they were going to re-record it they should have at least like had the gut the narrator go back and re-record the whole paragraph or something <laughs> chris it sounded like we were just setting up his like marketing pitch. It really did. like darn it seems like all these audiobook producers are no good what are we ever to do no oh here's dan sir i got a book about no there's 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 a lot of good audio on audible yeah. and some there's some absolutely blackstone brilliant blackstone is amazing just top-notch but let's see who's who's really sure. good the production company is a Blackstone Audio, Fullcast Audio, mm-hmm. um, anything by the BBC. Whoever BBC. does um, Simon and Schuster is usually really good. Whoever does Jim Dale's um, books for the Harry Potter. Yeah, I don't series. know who produced. Those. Oh, that was um, so good. Neil Gaiman is a force mm-hmm. in, unto himself. Oh yeah, literally, because he records all of his own books, except for the two that Seeing Ear Theater did, which was Snow Glass Apples. And murder mysteries, which were done as full cast, um, they were actually full cast audio because they they were first person stories. So they mm-hmm. just did the straight text of the story. But didn't he um, narrate murder no, mysteries? No, that was Brian Dennehy did that. Oh, and they're beautiful productions. You can get them like on Amazon, packaged as two plays for audio, I think, or two plays for radio. And oh, if you want two stories that will keep you up all night with the disturbing and the gorgeousness, I murder mysteries is fantastic. It's, a, it's a favorite of mine. I think those were my introduction to Neil yeah, Gaiman. Mine too. Well, we saw his episode of Babylon Five before that, but we didn't recognize the name. Right. right. Librivox. You guys remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That 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 varies all over the place. But some of the good. If if it you're if you're, yeah if you're wanting to learn to do audio well. Doing books for LibriVox is a very good way to do it because you get practice on public domain works. You get 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 a bunch of stuff mm-hmm. out of out of the way. You know, practice with I, credits you can take and put them out for people. I, you can't uh, make any money, but it's great. I have I was assigned uh, to read the Odyssey in college, and mm-hmm. I got it on LibriVox. And at that point, 
you didn't have the same guy for every chapter. Like uh, it was like really one chapter, like a chain so every, Yeah, like every once in a while, I get you get a real clunker. It's a little bit of a gamble. It's fun though, just because they were free. I would say Penguin Audio's uh, books for the the Dresden Files are also really well done. Mm, okay, I haven't heard those. Really, really well performed. They get they have what's his name, Spike. Uh, James Marsters. James Marsters. Yeah. Marsters. Yes. Marsters. And uh, he he plays Harry letter perfect. And the he, he puts so much emotion into his performance. Nice. The bit at the end of, of Changes, when he has to make his big sacrifice um, in order to win, it just breaks your heart the way he you hear his voice breaking as he reads it's it's amazing oh, lowell did that to me with with uh with owner's share <laughs> oh yeah yeah weep city nathan you're a bastard which is so you. funny because when you know he's so even and mm-hmm. almost flat in most of what he does this, this by the way is nathan lowell who plays senator bill shelley in the antithesis books right in his own books uh in the the golden age of the solar clipper Particular favorites of mine. Mine too. But he's so even and calm in how he reads it in mm-hmm. most of the series. And then in Owner's Share, you know, it's like he just kind of... It's, he it's he doesn't go over the top. It's doesn't just the, go over the most the top. subtle little touches. But yeah. And they, oh, but they drive the nail straight through your heart and then mm-hmm. deploy the barbs and the bombs. It's great. Yeah. Crystal, would you be willing to start that first voicemail? Dan Sawyer, you magnificent bastard! I am so glad to hear Free Will and the your feed back again. I just finished listening to Chapter 1. Um, I am blown away as usual. And um, don't think I'm not listening close <laughs> to how you do things. Uh, in order to inform my own productions. I'm going to be watching your Kickstarter very, very closely. Uh, And you probably know why. (laughs) And um, congratulations on your triumphant return, and keep them coming, dude, because I am listening in more sense than one. Thank you, and I'll probably send you something after the next episode, too. Bye. That was Nobilis Reed, who drummed the Nobilis Erotica podcast and plays Percy's nurse in Free Will and played, uh, Jer- no, you played Jeremiah. He played Kevin in Down from Ten. Mm-hmm. And he is now, um, the leader behind the new Quiver and Arch audiobook, uh, production house. Oh, I haven't is, heard about this. This is his, the, the new erotic, um, si- like anthology series that he's the, the coming together series and all that yeah some it's it's yeah it's like a, a publishing house for erotic oh, fiction I heard about he's, this. yeah he's he's been uh in the early scheming stages of a, a year ago at balticon so uh-huh. i am not sure exactly what stage it's at now and it's unfolding but uh this er- is the reason why he's taking notes erotic <laughs> ah. fiction you mean like jerk off material yes. kind of fiction yeah, well, th- his definition of erotica is the story I want to keep listening to even after I've gotten off. Huh. <laughs> Confused looks are happening all around the room. I think that's a lofty goal because that's there's only one pornographic thing that I can recall that was like, hey, I want to keep watching this after 
<laughs> after I've just jizzed. I, I can remember a pornographic thing. I, I got to the point where I couldn't bear watching it, even though you know, I hadn't got that? to that point. Yeah. It was Caligula. It was so uh, bad. Bad, bad, what bad. What described happens to me a lot. Bad story mm-hmm. plus bad porn. I mean, three and a half hours mm-hmm. of multi-million dollar shit. <laughs> and this is coming from someone who really appreciates bad movies. <laughs> I love bad movies, and I could not, could not get... I found myself fast-forwarding through the acting to get to the porn. And then the porn was so bad, I fast-forwarded through the porn to get to the acting, then remembered how bad that was. <laughs> so like, I watched oh, the whole film on fast-forward <laughs> after about the first 20 minutes. It was so bad. And then, uh, so I was going to to mention the uh, the pirates uh, porn <laughs> movie that came out a few years ago, which is one where I actually started fast forwarding through the the sex to get to the plot because I wanted to that see one, how it ended. It, that one actually had a decent plot. And it did. Shitty it was sex fun. Scenes. Shitty sex scenes. Just mm-hmm. the most boring, like ripped from early eighties video. Well, that's uh-huh. the problem when, like, when you're talking about, you don't need big budgets to make something that's sexy. Just boobs and vaginas and dicks are all we need to be sexy, <laughs> and they're just right there. That's like, all, no, that's all you if, need to do. Sex doing sexy is a little harder. Yeah, okay, it is a yeah, lot harder. Sure, but like the I, yeah, I think there's there's a level that you're reaching for something other than like good jerk off material. Mm-hmm. If you're spending millions of dollars for this big thing, it, I think Oof. it has to be something special. <laughs> yeah, something that makes people want to buy it or something Mm -hmm. because if it's jerk off material you don't need to do all that stuff Mm -hmm. that's why porns have terrible acting and no no because it's the aesthetic equivalent to fast like i'll tell you the story of a porn (laughs) i just saw some guys got put in prison with by a female guard and then the female guard brought some sluts in then and then they let him out of prison and then the female guards suck their dicks too with the sluts (laughs) the end not a great story but it was hot and it was effective now, if you want some fiction that has some interesting ideas to it and some meat while also being sexy, <laughs> may I recommend to you Erotica a la carte by our dear yes. friend Philippa Ballantyne. Oh, that one is good. I've heard yeah. those. I've got a yeah. story in there. Yeah, yeah you Buried Dan's Alive in the one. Blues I did for that one. And I did uh, Tears Such as Angels Weep for that series. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's there's a lot of good authors. Those in are there. not just Jackoff material. Right. They're, they're titillating... Good stories, right? But which uh, you could jack off to, right? Which is but kind wait of wait till the end, and that's that's the the, the genre that Nobilis writes in. Mm-hmm. So, well, yeah, I didn't actually know about your publishing company, Nobilis, but seriously, good luck, and I hope watching the Kickstarter was instructive. As you can see, we funded two times over. What, what? Now my whole life is centered around Crudrat. And now uh, Danny Magnificent Bastard is going to be an ongoing clip that we will play over and over again. <laughs> so, anyway. I kept waiting for him to just add, I read your book! Why does that sound familiar? <clears throat> Patton. Oh, yes. Rommel, you magnificent bastard, I, I read, read your, your book. book! Yep. All right, next voicemail. J. Daniel Sawyer. Larry Bushy of the Going Linux podcast here. To echo your own exclamation, I'm back, and it's good to have you back. Using a term from back in the days when you and I started podcasting, I'd say you had pod faded, but after three years, man, it's more like you pod blacked out. 
Heck, I'm on my third co-host for the Going Linux podcast since you stopped podcasting back then. I'm one of the people who unsubscribed, so thanks for the email to let us all know that you're back in action. Though, I would say it took me two and a half years to unsubscribe. What can I say? I'm an optimist. Thanks for the recap. It helps after three years. In your recap, you mentioned continuity. And so I wanted to mention that in book one, chapter two, at timestamp oh four minutes and 32... Oh just kidding. <laughs> Welcome back. Well I've played. listened to episodes zero through two so far, and I'm looking forward to the future. Pun intended. Welcome back. Wait, what? I missed what happened at timestamp whatever. He was joking. Oh. <laughs> well played, Larry. And he got my heart rate up. I yeah. was like, whoa, shit, what? What is it? I'm glad you're back around. Larry runs an amazing podcast called The Going Linux Podcast, which, uh, which if you're just thinking of going to Linux, you should listen to. It's great stuff. I've been on there a couple of times talking about uh, video production once and audio production once, I think. It's fun stuff. And what Dan and I are doing is not pod fading, it's pod necromancy. <laughs> pod nap. Pod, nap. pod napping, yes. Our podcasts, they took a nap. They're back now. Podburnation. Mm-hmm. Podburnation, <laughs> yes. I love it. Yes, we've raised the dead. They were in stasis pods. We're when, when, when are you going to finish raising your dead? People are at, I've gotten emails from people asking me mm-hmm. about your podcast because they're afraid I've to email emails you. I've gotten asking him about asking you about your podcast. <laughs> Kitty, have you gotten emails asking you to no, ask Shady nobody to ask knows Dan where my me. email is. <laughs> um, okay, so the current status is... Half of the narration is now recorded. I am hoping to crank out some more of it during the break. It's going to depend on me finding a quiet enough space at my parents' house when I go back to Michigan. I've got the recording equipment there. It's just, you know, getting the acoustics to work to make sure that I get something usable. Uh, My friend and collaborator on this project Dawn Phoenix is doing the female vocals and uh, she is I think a little more than half done with her side as well so I've got to spend some time checking out what she's given me we're, we're basically trying to do the last pass edits on the text at the same time that we're doing the recording because recording is a great way to catch mistakes that you don't catch any other way so there's some stuff we're going to have to go back and tweak and re-record a little bit. But basically speaking, we're about halfway through at this point with the raw um, recording. As for when that's going to equate to actual episodes, my goal is to start releasing during the first quarter of the new year um, so that I can have... So why don't you just slap a release date on it? March 1st. <laughs> March 1st is the revival of Metamore City. How's that? See, the last time that I committed to a date, I ended up embarrassing us both because life intervened. Well, um, let's let's but... do it this way then. Metamore City will come back on March 1st. And if it doesn't, I'll give out Chris's address on the air. <laughs> and you can start mailing you can start mailing him bricks and rotten eggs or cookies. Or cookies. Or Bribery cookie. works too. Yes. And lace the cookies with methamphetamine and he'll get to work really fast. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, this is my first year at a new uh, high school and first year at a major public high school. And it's a lot like being a first year teacher again. So there's been some adjusting. It's a lot uh, like being a freshman again? Yeah, yeah, freshman teacher. There's been some life adjustment that's had to Did go on. you get picked on. on by the gym teacher and stuff? Happily, no. <laughs> He's like, hey, new teacher. New science teacher, all the all the English teachers come and bully you in the hallway and put you in the trash can and pull your pants down. This is not a Spider-Man comic. <laughs> if it was a Spider-Man comic, it would involve a lot more bondage. You've got that mixed up with Wonder Woman. <laughs> That's true. Well, it's, uh, Spider-Man's premature ejaculation. That's right. <laughs> right. Right. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, go watch the Sam Raimi version again for the scene, actually any of the scenes in the first half. <laughs> That that version of Spider Man is all about masturbation. <laughs> you can actually hear like him make mistakes in the line reads when they say "shoot my wad." I mean web, and they don't catch all of them. Oh God! Sometimes, sometimes they'll shoot oh, his wad. Boy. All right, oh. next voicemail. Hey Dan, this is a comment for dealing in no Um and a comment about omnivore, um, which I think is a fabulous concept. Um, have you ever? The NSA obviously didn't want him to finish that. Hey, I've been animal to omnivore. Ugh. See, it's already got to him. Yeah, I know. Okay, what's the? Then we got another Nobilis thing here. Hey Dan, uh, this is Nobilis. You've got a glitch in Chapter Four at about eighteen minutes thirty-nine seconds. Oh yeah. The dialogue cuts out, but the background sounds do not. Sounds like something didn't get coded or something. Anyways. I'll, I'll fix it. All right, I'll fix it. Liar. Short, short version. Percy says things. I'll, I'll post a fix on the feed. Hey Dan, this is Novellus Reed calling you uh, for some, with a suggestion for a topic to like cover on me. the next ten thousand hours. Um, I noticed on a lot of your um, uh, 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 forecast projects, like. <laughs> Did he cut out again? I think so. Oh, now, man. Billis, stop Sorry. calling me. Stop calling me when you're driving past NSA headquarters. <laughs> <laughs> I know they're in your neighborhood, <laughs> and, and we, we know, know they're, they're listening. listening. Hey, I'm just about to pass your tunnel, but at 18 minutes and 25 seconds. Uh, hey, this is Michael Hoff calling in from Allentown, Pennsylvania, and uh, I just was listening to your latest episode, uh, I'm speaking as a male knitter who learned how to knit after being released from uh, a crazy place where the walls are made of concrete and designed not to let you out. High school? Um, I can definitely say that um, being someone decently young within the first quarter of a uh, century, um, there are very few people in my age group or gender category that knit. Um, so I am definitely one of the few, one of the uh, exclusive, rare, young kid male knitters that um, definitely get a lot of comments about what I make. Uh, I come up with my own patterns and... Uh, I rarely ever follow a book except for inspiration. Um, I also infrequently blog and take pictures of what I make, 
which is pretty much hot. I like working in needles a lot of the time, and I work uh, usually from the crown down to the rim, uh, ever since I learned how to do that, which just makes it easier to work with a single set of needles instead of switching to double-pointed to close off uh, something. Anyways, uh, Jay, for you, I hope you are strangled with some uh, nylon, teflon, directian material uh, combination uh, yarn that uh, makes you want to wish that the invention of knitting would never come up with and that you inevitably uh, suffocate from lack of oxygen to your brain from the off-gassing of said material as it is warmed up by the body heat uh, as it closes around your esophagus and or thorax, depending on which anatomical manifestation you come up with um, at the uh, onset of your assassination. Bye-bye. That one could probably be arranged. That, that sounded like That's a pretty the, violent and intense guy. That's the first knitting-related death threat I've ever gotten. <laughs> that's a, and it's the first death threat of the new podcast. So that deserves some kind of prize. I'm, unfortunately, you called into the voicemail line, so I don't have your email address. But email me, and I'll send you a free ebook Maybe because I, that I, was. I, I want to know what what blog you or where you blog too, because I like following knitting blogs. That's your first uh, your first fan voicemail in the next ten thousand hours, Kitty. Yay, knitters! So is Kitty's knitters. corner written for next time? I have no idea. <laughs> uh, I'm kind of uh, interested that he ended up learning to knit, given the tendency that prisons don't like people with sharp, pointy objects, I would have thought he would have learned to crochet. Knitting is one of those things they're doing for anger management in prisons now. Mm. Kitty met someone on Bart. That that was what precipitated the comment. Mm -hmm. Because I was um, reading Orange is the New Black, um, the uh, Mm -hmm. Piper Kerman memoir, and she mentioned that at that time, uh, the women in the, the U.S. prisons were not allowed to have knitting needles, and so everything was crocheted. Yeah, the, I don't understand why crochet hooks would be less dangerous than knitting needles, honestly. Yeah, they're blunt, and they would leave a nasty you exit You totally wound. knit with crochet hooks. You just get two of them and use the ass end. Mm. Look how sharp these are. Those are freaking sharp. Yeah, that's true. I know, but you can being step. sharp doesn't mean, like, if you stab someone with a sharp thing and pull it out... Whatever, but if you stab them with a hook and pull it out, you're fucked. Yeah, but they're not really sharp. You're all kind of fucked. I know, that's why you gotta stab them really hard. I imagine there are different rules depending on on what level of security the prison is. She was at a federal prison camp, which is the lowest security women's prison. There may also... There could, like at commercial prisons, there may also be like um, different areas like recreational. That's true. On some prisons, you're not allowed to bring books back to your room, but you can mm-hmm. use them in the library. So there may be recreational areas like that. Yeah, that, that makes controlled. sense. And maybe they also figured, you know, if you're maybe in a men's prison, they're not as worried about knitting needles compared to some of the other things that the inmates could have. 
Toilet paper bombs. Yeah, after, after seeing the uh, the YouTube channel, that guy that makes shotguns out of shit you can buy on the other side of security. Yikes! Tells you tells you what you can do in a prison. <laughs> I can use yeah. my knitting needles as garrots. That's true, dude. <laughs> I would totally see pay to see you strangle a sock. Maybe I should make a death threat jingle. Ooh, death threat, yeah. Yeah. that would death be cool. Death threat jingle. So we'll have, for the next. Dealing in, we'll have a specific portion of the show just for death threats, and there'll be a theme for it. Can it sound like a Christmas song? The death threat jingle? Oh, you want me to use the word jingle in there and also use jingle bells? That's a little on the nose, Kitty. <laughs> oh, next voicemail. Hey, Dan. Nobelis Reed again. This is getting uh, creepy. Just listen to Next 10,000 Hours. And uh, I have to admit that I didn't learn a damn thing from you there. Uh, but it was very entertaining. Well, and a uh, hard, hard time believing that you weren't drunk. Anyways, uh, you were asking for questions to talk <laughs> about. And, and I have a feeling that... Stop driving by the NSA when you're stalking me. <laughs> the amazing thing is think... they keep letting him go. I no, know. I think that's... I think he's been crank calling us like all these times. He's purposely... Hanging up. Oh, in the and middle this of really cool thing. He's like, yeah. oh yeah. By the way, just want you know, I hadn't learned a There's goddamn someone thing behind. from your podcast. And oh, and another thing. Hang up. <laughs> I see your game. What's his name? Oh, Nobilis. 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 Fuck you. <laughs> Call back and be serious this time. Oh. Yeah. No, Nobilis. I was not drunk, and I actually have never been drunk in my life. So, wow. I'm just this weird naturally. I need no chemical assistance. Except caffeine. Well, and PCP. And you just... smoke a lot of PCP. <laughs> I don't know that out. He sprinkles it in parsley and just smokes joints. <laughs> parsley, sage, <laughs> rosemary, yeah, and yeah, weed. PCP. Can we discuss smoking tea? Oh, God, no! <laughs> now, here's a pro tip for any of your um, listeners who are cannabis smokers. If you like rolling joints and you don't you don't smoke tobacco, so usually you roll a spliff and you mix tobacco with marijuana. Hey, this is supposed to be a cutting-edge podcast where we talk about sex and drugs and adult things. So I'm going to talk about drugs. <laughs> well, it is now legal in two states, so... yeah. It doesn't, even if it was illegal, still wouldn't talk about it. But anyway, you use green tea as a filler instead of tobacco. <laughs> and I don't know why you guys are laughing so much. This is an inside joke that I don't get. But no, no, are you serious? I'm serious. Oh boy. You can smoke green tea uh-huh. and you can spliff that with your weed. Oh wow. A spliff is tobacco and weed. Yeah, I know. And it it helps the consistency your your joint doesn't and it just kind of burn keeps up. It alive, yeah. If you roll pure, pure cannabis, it just kind of smolders and yeah. you know it's delightful but it's it's crazy so you cut it with a uh, green tea and no shit it the caffeine would be amazing i don't i don't know how much that's <sighs> yeah does caffeine actually can you take it can you take inhalation? it through inhalation by burning it you can yeah and the flavor is nice so if you want kind of a i guess it would be like a combination of a pick-me-up and a bring me back down a it's mellow high. Half half weed, half green tea. There you go. <laughs> and that's your do-it-at-home experiment for the listeners. Cool. In Colorado. <laughs> and Washington. Or wherever. It's kind of not really a big deal, <laughs> even if it is illegal in your state. Yay! 
You're adorable. I like you. Have you been crank calling the voice line? No, that wasn't me. Really. That was you. That was not me. That was so you. You pocket dial your own fan line. <laughs> Must have been when you when we were testing to make sure the line was still active. Might have been. That doesn't sound like that, me. That was you. That was not me. Yes. Should we play it again? You're adorable. I like you. <laughs> that was totally you. Yep, Are you, you sure that's not Aaron? Yeah. Aaron has a different sound. It sounded like a teddy bear I used to have when you pull the string. <laughs> I like you. That's funny, because she's got this one string that if you pull on it just right. <laughs> Ow! <laughs> and on that note, we are going to have to wrap this thing up, yep. folks. <laughs> that's been so that's, yeah, this is, our, this is our first and only dealing in for 2014. Join us again in three months for the next one. 2013, I think you mean. That's why. You said 2014. Oh, so, oh, this is the first and only dealing in for 2014. No. Join us again in a few months for the dealing in in 2013. <laughs> Because <laughs> we are time travelers. There was an accident with a contraceptive and a time machine. I don't have time to explain. <laughs> I will have time for you later. It's complicated. <laughs> it's not how the machine works. <laughs> Let me try that again. <laughs> oh, punchy. ladies and gentlemen, thanks for listening. I've been Danny Shade, and I'm not going to be in any more of these in 2013. But he Nor will, will either of us. But he will continue to be Danny Shade. Yeah, and yes. continue to put out awesome music for yes. this podcast and many other things. Yay! So send in the death threats and the comments and the criticisms and the personal berations and all and that yarn. other stuff and yarn for yarn free yarn. will and for the next ten thousand hours and down from ten and predestination and any of the books you've read and we will address your every question, concern, and something else beginning with the sound of sea next time. We do this in early March. Um, and until until then, I remain the only sane person in the room. However, the other people in the room are... Danny Shade. Chris Lester. Uh, g- give your websites. At www.metamorecity.com. That's M-E-T-A-M-O-R city.com. Watch for the return of the podcast in March 2014. And the new novel, Things Unseen, a novel of Metamore City, is on sale now at smashwords.com. Uh, you can find my music at SoundCloud. Uh, my username is Shaded, S-C-H-A-D-E-D. I drop new music there, instrumentals, fun stuff. And the uh, website's dannyshade.com. So uh, you can get that too. And I'm kidding again. I don't have my own website yet. But you can find me on Twitter. At? At Kitty Right. Oh, I'm on Twitter, too. That's, at Danny Shade. Yeah. And that's N-I-C-I-A-I-A-N. Yes, remember, like old McDonald, E-I-E-I-O. And I'm Dan Sawyer, the demented master of this particular corner of the universe. I'll be back with you next week with the next episode of Free Will. And remember, it isn't whether you win or lose. It's how you rig the game. And whether the NSA lets you finish your voicemail. Dealing In is a production of Artistic Whispers Productions in Castro Valley, California. It's copyright 2014, Artistic Whispers Productions in J. Daniel Sawyer, and is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. Music composed and performed by Danny Shade, used with permission.